Before getting into the message, I just want to answer just a few questions that came in that were prayer related, that were not covered. Can you teach us a real simple prayer acceptable, acceptable to God? There's a great prayer, it's found in Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2, and I pray this almost every day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 67, and it shows us what to pray and, and why God answers our prayers. Psalm 67, verse 1, says, God be merciful to us and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us. What a wonderful prayer. And the next verse tells us why God blesses us. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. It's a good one to memorize. I pray it often. If you want God to bless you, if you want to see many answers to prayers, understand that God will hear and answer your prayers, not just so He can bless you, but so that you can be a blessing to others. Um, Ellen White writes that the Holy Spirit will be given to all who come begging for the bread of life. Ask God, God, you've got to bless me, because if you don't bless me, what, what can I give to others? There's another question that came in. Is prayer the only medium to reach God? And at first I'm thinking, yes. But then I thought about the story about the widow, I mean the woman who bled for 12 years. She just simply went, and it was through the touch of faith that she reached out to God. It is through prayer and faith that we reach out to God. Ellen White writes that our, our, greatest, uh, our need is our greatest argument. Amen. So sometimes even if you don't know what to say, just, just stay there in God's presence. Yes. And just wait on Him. And God understands what you need. Amen. All right. I want to thank that brother who had prayer for us. Uh, it was through his prayer that I just sense that, that God was, was saying to me that, that the message I'm going to share this morning is the message that He wants presented. You've heard a lot of messages. Uh, the theme for this weekend has been getting back to the basics, and we've been talking a lot about what we believe. And this morning, I want to talk about the basics of Christianity. My message is titled, Humility 101. Ellen White in Desire of Ages tells us that the only greatness is the greatness of humility. Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, says that the highest lesson a believer has to learn is the lesson of humility. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for bringing us together for another opportunity where we can hear a word from you. I just pray that you would send the Holy Spirit, the greatest of all teachers, to teach us. Bless us with understanding, Lord. But more importantly, Lord, please help us to know how to take the things we hear and apply them to our lives. Please make your strength perfect in my weakness this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you men ever get irritated or annoyed if if your spouse or, or your girlfriend or someone of the opposite gender tells you how to drive? Now, is this just a guy thing, or, or do the ladies also get irritated when there's a backseat driver? Now, how about you ladies? Do you guys get irritated when you've worked hard all day long, you've, you've worked very hard to prepare a nice meal, and your family members, they sit down, and they don't appreciate what you've cooked? Does that irritate you? How many of you men get irritated if the food doesn't taste as good as it looks on the table? Now, here's a question for all of you. How many of you get a little irritated when someone gives you advice or tells you that you are wrong? 
Do you know why these things irritate us? Yes, that is the correct answer I was looking for. It is because of pride. Okay. Pride is the root of every sin and every evil. And what is the opposite of pride? Humility. It's humility. We get easily irritated because we lack humility, which is the root of every virtue. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and we'll read this parable, which begins in verse 7. In this parable, Jesus teaches us about servanthood. What is expected of a servant, and what must be the proper attitude of a servant? Verse 7, it says, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come and sit down to eat? If you are a servant, raise your hand. We're all servants, amen? Amen. Either servants of Christ or servants of of Satan. If Jesus is your master, say amen. 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 Now servants spend their day out in the field. Do you know why? Because the fields need to be worked. And at the end of the day, the servants come in. Verse 8. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. The servant always puts others first, himself second. Verse 9, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? The things that were what? Commanded him. I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are what? Commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So Jesus teaches us the necessity of two virtues. What are they? Okay. Humility and obedience. Okay. These are the two true characteristics of true servanthood. Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? In other words, are you an obedient and humble servant? Would others see you as an obedient and humble servant? What would your spouse or your children say? Do you have the heart of a servant? How do we know if we have a servant's heart? By how we act when we are treated like one. Let me share with you a definition of humility that has been very helpful to me. Humility is acting like a servant when you are treated like a servant. So if you men are driving and your spouse says, Honey, can you drive a little faster? You can say, honey, don't tell me how to drive. I'm the man. I've been driving for 15 years. Don't tell me how to drive. If you don't like the way I drive, you can get out and walk. (laughs) But if you are a servant, you can say, honey, anything you like. (laughs) Amen? Now, when your ladies cook food... All the time. (laughs) Yes. And when your ladies cook food and you sense that your husband or your children aren't appreciating all your hard work... You can get bent out of shape, and you can say, if you don't like my food, from now on, you can cook it yourself. <laughs> right? But if you're a servant, you could say, I'm so sorry. Hey, why don't we go out to your favorite restaurant tonight? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, for you men, if the food tastes really bad, what are you going to do? You can complain, right? But if you are a Christian, a what? Christian. A Christian, what are you going to do? You're going to eat it. You're going to say... 
Yes. Amen. Amen. You're going to be grateful, amen? amen. Or you can just choose to fast that day. <laughs> hey, when you have two servants in the home, what do you end up with? A taste of heaven. The reason we get so easily irritated, wounded easily, and bent out of shape so easily is because of our pride. Do you think Jesus was so easily irritated by people and he lost his patience? No. No. In Desire of Ages, in the chapter uh, titled As a Child, it's chapter 7, we are told that Jesus manifested a patience that nothing could disturb. But now, of course, Jesus had righteous indignation. What kind of indignation? Righteous in the nation. And this was not because he had a pride problem, but because he had a problem with sin, because he was holy. But the reason we get so easily irritated by others is because of our pride. So when we are irritated, when we feel our blood begin to boil because people are pushing all of our buttons, we have two options. Option number one is we can go up. We can be like Lucifer, and we can go up, and up and up. Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. So we can go up or we can choose to go down and be like Christ who went down and down and down. It was Christ who made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. So we can either go up or we can choose to go down. I want to give you four reasons why we ought to humble ourselves, why we ought to go down instead of go up the next time we get irritated. Reason number one, simply to be happy. Do you want to be happy? You humble yourself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek. In other words, happy are the humble. Do you know people who are always right, people who are proud, people who can never be wrong, and even if they're wrong, they'll somehow come up with an argument to prove that they are right? <laughs> Such people are never happy, and they make everybody around them absolutely miserable. I call such people EGRs. I went to this elders' retreat at the beginning of the year, and the guest speaker talked about EGRs. He said, the moment I tell you what an EGR is, someone is going to come to your mind. He says, every church has an EGR. What is an EGR? Extra grace required. (laughs) Let's just make sure that we are not the EGR in our churches. In John chapter 13, verse 15 through 16, Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What did Jesus just do before speaking these words? Jesus had humbled himself. He got down on his feet and he washed the feet of his disciples. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And then in John 13, verse 17, Jesus says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There we have that word blessed again. In the KJV, it reads, If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you will humble yourself, and you will be a servant, as Jesus was a servant, you will be happy. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is not a one of us that is not in need of the rest that only Jesus can offer us. 
We're all carrying heavy burdens. The heaviest burden we carry is the burden of sin. And the root of all sin is pride. Because of that pride, it's just wearing us out. Jesus, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, we need to come to Jesus. We need to learn of Jesus who is meek and lowly in heart. Only then we'll experience rest for our souls and we'll come to understand what true happiness is all about. In the Desire of Ages, there's a chapter called The Invitation. And it's about this invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It's my favorite chapter in the Desire of Ages. And the last paragraph is it's probably my favorite paragraph in all of the spirit of prophecy. Ellen White writes, As through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. Heaven begins where? Here. Heaven begins here. It does not begin once we go past the pearly gates after the resurrection, but it begins here. We respond to his invitation, come learn of me, and in thus learning we begin the life eternal. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. The longer we are in the heaven of bliss. Do you want to experience bliss? You go to Jesus. By the way, we're told in the book Evangelism, there's no greater bliss on this side of heaven than in winning souls to Christ. If you want bliss, you go to Jesus, and then you go work for Jesus. Happiness is found in going to Jesus and going for Jesus. She goes on to say, The more and still more of glory will be open to us, and the more we know of God, the more intense will be our happiness. Then I love this next part. As we walk with Jesus in this life, we may be filled with His love, satisfied with His presence. All that human nature can bear, we may receive here, but what is this compared with the hereafter? And then she goes on to talk about heaven, where there will be more, no more tears, no more pain. No more hunger. But all that human nature can bear, we may receive here. So reason number one is to be happy. Have you ever heard the saying, happy wife, happy life? Or as my Burmese friend puts it, when the woman happy, the whole world happy. I've come to find out that this is so true. How many of you... Married men know by experience that this is true. So men, if we will humble ourselves and begin acting like servants, we are going to be way happier. If we have happier marriages, we're going to have happier homes. And if we all have happier homes, we're going to have happier, healthier churches. Because the devil is out to destroy our churches, and he, he does that effectively by destroying marriages. You know, this message came about because the Lord one day was speaking to me and was saying to me, you need to start acting like a servant in the home. And I just started acting like a servant. I started praying, Lord, what can I do around the home just just to be a servant? And I'm telling you, within a couple days, my wife just noticed the difference. And she started saying, I love you, no less than 10 times a day. (laughs) Just because she knew that something was different. So what I'm sharing with you, I know works. But the reason the Lord has me share this message often from time to time is because He knows that I need to hear it again and again. (laughs) Reason number two is to reveal Jesus. 
There are many people in this world who will never pick up a Bible and learn about Jesus. The only way some people will see Jesus is through you and through me. Now we need to think about the lost, but do you know who I really want to reveal Jesus to? It's my wife and it's my family who are closest to me. Do you know why? If my family who lives closest to me and knows me so well cannot see Jesus in me, then everything I do outside my house is its hypocrisy. We can all look so nice when we come to church or when we come to SWYC. We can have nice big smiles painted on our faces. Adventists are really good at fooling people, right? But what would your children and your spouse say? Do they see Jesus in you? This is where the rubber meets the road. I want to reveal Jesus. How about you? In order to reveal Jesus, we must humble ourselves. Philippians 2.8, it says, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. If you were to follow Jesus, what would the path that you would travel on look like? I like what Andrew Murray says in his book, Humility, and it's, it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend this book. Andrew Murray says, Humility is the path to death. I'm tired of trying to act like Jesus. I don't want to act like Jesus. I want to reveal Jesus. Do you understand the difference? I want Jesus to live in me and be seen. And this can only happen if I die to self. What is the path to death? Humility. Andrew Murray also says, Humility leads to perfect death. Humility means the giving up of self and the taking the place of perfect nothingness before God. How many of you would like to take the place of perfect nothingness before God? Humility leads to perfect death. We read that. It is indeed blessed, the deep happiness of heaven, to be so free from self that whatever is said of us or done to us is lost and swallowed up in the thought that Jesus is all. The reason we get so easily irritated and upset if someone looks at us the wrong way or treats us like a servant is because we are so full of self. We are so full of pride. But imagine to be so emptied of self that whatever is said of you or done to you can all be swallowed up in the thought that Jesus is is all. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I used to read this and think of all the things I had to give up. Okay. I love cheese. Cream cheese. Nacho cheese. Cheddar cheese. In my bean burritos at Taco Bell. Cheesecake. You name it. When I would go to potluck, I would sit down with my dish of food. It was cheeseless, and quite frankly, it was tasteless. I would look over to the person next to me, and I could see how good their food looked, because it was so cheesy. <laughs> and I couldn't help but feel just a little proud of myself. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I was getting victory. I was overcoming. Beware of the pride of holiness. The pride of what? The pride of holiness. Andrew Murray writes in his book, There is no pride so dangerous because none so subtle and insidious as the pride of holiness. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John talks about not loving the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You and I, we don't need to worry so much about the pride of life. We need to beware of the pride of 
holiness. Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's nothing wrong with denying yourself of cheese and all those things that are harmful for your body. But if you're reading the words of Jesus and denying yourself of things, you're missing the point. Jesus is asking us to deny self and die to self. In other words, Jesus is asking us to humble ourselves and to walk on the path that leads to death. Do you want to follow Jesus? Are you sure? It's a downward path. Matthew 16, verse 25, he says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when someone comes along and pushes all the wrong buttons, are you going to save your life? In other words, are you going to go up? Are you going to exalt yourself? Or are you going to lose your life? In other words, are you going to go down and humble yourself? If we want to reveal Jesus to the world, we must choose to humble ourselves and take the path that leads to death. William Law says, The one true way of dying to self is the way of patience, meekness, humility, and resignation to God. So we've talked thus far about two reasons to humble yourselves. One is to be happy. The second is to reveal Jesus. Now in the book Humility, Andrew Murray writes, Let us look upon every brother who tries or vexes us as God's means of grace, God's instrument for our purification. Because God loves us so much and desires to purify us so that He can one day take us to heaven, He will continue to place people in our paths who annoy and irritate us. And this will happen until the day we are so purified and so much like Jesus that we will not be irritated by the EGRs. For you husbands out there, do you know who that primary instrument is that God uses for your purification? Yes, it's your wife and kids. So we need to thank God for our wife and kids. Amen? Amen. And wives, do you know who that primary instrument is that God uses for your purification? It's your husband and your (laughs) mother-in-law. And then God's secondary instrument for our purification is, of course, the church members. So we need to thank God for those church members. Amen? In this world, you can divide everyone pretty much into two classes. There are the saints, and then there are those who irritate us. And then you could take those who irritate you and divide them into four subclasses. Some people irritate us simply because of the actions or because of some poor choice that they make. That's one class. It's like our children. We love them so much, but it it just saddens us and irritates us to see them make poor choices. There's another class of people. These people... They're okay until they open their mouths. You just hear their voice and instantly you are annoyed. You feel your blood just begin to boil. There's also a third class. This class, they don't even have to open their mouths. They just show up. And their presence alone begins to irritate you. And then there's a fourth class. You can be at home trying to enjoy some peace and rest. And they will just make their way into your mind. And the thought of them just begins to irritate you. And God uses all four classes of people for your purification. And do you know what God asks us to do for all these people who irritate us? Love them and serve them and bless them. Where do I get that? 
Matthew 5, 44. Jesus says, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So for your wife, who can be your enemy at times, just love her, do good to her, serve her, pray for her. So if you've wondered why should I love my enemies, now you have a very good reason. You're God's instrument for your purification. The devil wants to destroy you, and he'll try to do it using your enemies. And of course, God could step in, and he could stop your enemies. Correct? But what God does is he uses your enemies for your purification. So you can let your worst enemies be the devil's instrument for your destruction, or you can let them be God's instrument for your purification. The choice is yours. Reason number three why we ought to humble ourselves. It is to experience revival. There's only one pathway to genuine revival, and that is the pathway of humility or brokenness. The scriptures make it clear that this is the number one prerequisite to meeting God in revival. Pederus Octavianus was a man greatly used by God in the 1973 revival in Borneo. He says, Revivals do not begin happily with everyone having a good time. They start with a broken and contrite heart. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Where does God dwell? In the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Amen. I want you to listen carefully to the words of William Law. This is really powerful. The truth is this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Under the banner of the truth, give yourself up to the meek and humble spirit of the holy Jesus. Humility must sow the seed or there can be no reaping in heaven. Look not at pride only as an unbecoming temper, nor at humility only as a decent virtue. For the one is death, the other is life, the one is all hell, the other is all heaven. Strong language here. So much as you have of pride within you, you have of the fallen angel alive in you. So much as you have of true humility, so much you have of the Lamb of God within you. Could you see what every stirring of pride does to your soul? You would beg of everything you meet to tear the viper from you, though with the loss of a hand or an eye. Could you see what a sweet, divine, transforming power there is in humility, how it expels the poison of your nature and makes room for the Spirit of God to live in you? You'd rather wish to be the footstool of all the world than want the smallest degree of it. And that's why in 2 Chronicles 7.14, God says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves. Friends, we must first come humbly. We must humble ourselves and pray and seek His face. Turn from our wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven, will forgive our sin, and heal our land. Let's go on to reason number four. It's to be honored and used by God. 
How many of you want to be honored and used by God? Proverbs 22, verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Psalms 25, verse 9 says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. The story of Moses, life gives me great encouragement. It's been said that for the first 40 years of his life, Moses thought he was a somebody. And he had good reason to think he was somebody. For the next 40 years of his life, he is sent out into the wilderness to tend sheep. And for the next 40 years, God teaches him that Moses is a nobody. And then for the next 40 years, God shows him and his people what God can do through a nobody. How many of you want to be a nobody? Moses was the greatest of men who ever stood as leader of the people of God. He was greatly honored by God, not for the experience which he had gained in, in the Egyptian court, but because he was the meekest of men. He was what? The meekest. the meekest of men. God talked with him face to face as a man talks with a friend. If men desire to be honored by God, let them be humble. Those who carry forward God's work should be distinguished from all others by their humility. Amen. That's from... Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 1113. D.L. Moody, spoken about him, man greatly used by God. He says, if we are going to be used by God, we have to be very humble. A man that lives close to God will be the humblest of men. I heard a man say that God always chooses the vessel that is close at hand. Let us keep near him. In the book, Humility, Andrew Murray He says, the highest glory of man is in being a vessel. Simply a vessel. A vessel that can receive and enjoy and show forth the glory of God. And that can only happen as we are emptied of self. And God fills us with more and more of His His glory and His presence and His power. So we've talked about four reasons to humble yourselves. What was reason number one? To be happy. Reason number two? To reveal Jesus. Reason number three? To experience revival. And point number four? To be honored and used by God. I want to talk about how we can daily humble ourselves in a very practical way. I believe God gives us opportunities hour after hour in each day to give us opportunities to humble ourselves. How can we humble ourselves? I can sum it up in one word. Anybody have an idea what that one word is? Serve through prayer. Those are good answers. It's a four-letter word. Love. 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 L-O-V-E. God has been showing me that if I can love as He loves, how? As He he loves, I would be humbling myself. God has been showing me that love is impossible without humility. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, I like the way the NIV renders it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Do you know why love is not proud? Because love is humble. humble. There is no love without humility at its root. There is an inseparable link between love and humility. If you can't see this, you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You look at his life from the manger to the cross. Jesus did not live to please himself. He did not come to serve, but to 
He did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to understand love? You look at the humility of Jesus. Now, for us in America, it's very easy for us to get confused about the meaning of love because we use the word love to describe things that we enjoy. We love chocolate, I mean carob. We love ice cream, the vegan kind. And we love our neighbors, at least the ones that leave us alone and don't irritate us, right? What is love? Well, we've all read Adventist Home, and we know that love is not a feeling. Love is a high and holy principle. Ladies, would you like to know how you can tell if your husband or your boyfriend really loves you? I want you to take that gift, and I want you to just drop it on the ground and say, I'm not interested. No, thank you. And you see how he responds. If he loves you, do you know how he's going to respond? He's still going to be kind. And he's still going to treat you the same. But if he doesn't love you, he's going to get upset. Are you following me? If he doesn't love you, the reason he gave you that gift is because of what's in it for him. Because he wanted something back from you. I'm going to say something that may sound very dumb, but if you think about it, it's actually very profound. Do you know why we get so easily upset, irritated, and angry with people? It's because we don't know how to love. Let me say that again. The reason we get so easily upset, easily irritated, and angry with people is because we don't know how to love. We get easily upset with people because we don't get what we want. We are selfish and we get upset when our expectations are not met. But if we knew how to love, we wouldn't get upset. If we knew how to love, we would respond with kindness and patience. I've had some people get mad at me and say things like, I've done this and this and this and that for you, and you can't do this little thing for me. And I'm thinking, what? Have you been keeping record? Does love keep a record? No. (laughs) But hey, I confess, I'm like many of you. I love those who love me, and I'm good to those who are good to me. And I do things for people expecting things in return. And I get irritated and upset if people do not fulfill my expectations. When it comes to loving, I'm no better than the tax collectors in Jesus' day. Notice the words of Jesus. If you love those who love you, this is Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for what? For nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Friends, are we children of God? Then we need to act like children of God. Amen? Amen? So Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why was it a new commandment? Because the disciples didn't understand truly how to love as Christ loved. 
They didn't understand about this love where you humble yourself and you lay down your life for, for one another. The disciples were proud men. They were always arguing about who was going to have the greatest, the greatest place in Christ's kingdom. All they knew was this selfish love practiced by the sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus is saying to you and I today, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen to the words of Ellen White in Desire of Ages, chapter 71, titled, A Servant of Servants. She says, How could he show that a mere profession of discipleship did not make them disciples or ensure them a place in his kingdom? Just because you go to church Sabbath after Sabbath faithfully and you call yourself a disciple doesn't really mean, doesn't really make you a disciple or guarantee you a spot in heaven. And just because you know all 28 fundamental beliefs and you could provide proof texts for each one of them doesn't make you a disciple or ensure you a spot in heaven. How could he show that it is loving service, true humility, which constitutes real greatness? Once again, we see that there is an inseparable link between love and humility. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you be a servant, a loving servant. The Apostle Paul understood how important this is. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, he writes, Through love, be servants one to another. Amen. Is it natural for me to serve? Absolutely not. Okay. It is natural for me to want to be served. And so I need help with this. So I often pray, Lord, show me how to serve. Show me how to serve my wife. On Sabbath mornings, Lord, show me how to serve my leaders. Show me how to serve my church members. Okay. Is God here and answer prayers? God will show us how we can learn, how we can serve, how we can love in practical ways. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7 says, Love suffers long and is kind. If you choose to love, you will suffer. Jesus, throughout his life, as he was serving, did he suffer? Yes, yes he did. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There will be people that will come along, maybe even today, and they will push your buttons, and you will feel your blood begin to boil. And because you've chosen to be a servant, you will respond, respond kindly and with patience. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, it says, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We must humble ourselves and be willing to forgive those who have wronged us. If we are struggling to forgive, it's quite often because of the evil of our hearts. And what is the root of all evil? It's pride. Do you want to be delivered from pride? Humble yourself. Give. Forgive. So five reasons to love. I want to end by giving you five reasons to love. What would be reason number one? To be happy? Reason number two? To reveal Jesus. Reason number three. 
to experience revival. Reason number four, to be honored and used by God. And reason number five, the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Friends, do you understand why God is calling us to love? It's because God wants to bless us in so many ways. And God wants to use us in these last days. It's not simply just a command. I want you to love. Because if you don't love, you can't make it into my kingdom. Okay? God wants to bless us. And He's able to. When we begin to love as He loved us. Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Is it your desire to be a loving and lovable Christian? Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.